For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. There was not a single point, especially most of the race, but especially after like 13, where there was a break in the crowd. Huh. It was that many people. The whole city shuts down for the damn thing. It's like a, it's like a religion. It's crazy. So then I was, I remember I was getting, cause I, I, I knew nothing about it getting into it. I was just like, I just want to qualify and then I want to run it. So I was getting on the plane and everybody was, they had their Boston Marathon jacket on. And then there was this one older guy with like you know, 25 dates on the back of his Boston Marathon jacket, you know, dating back almost when I was just like a one-year-old. And I started to realize, this is a really big deal. And my mom came with me, who's from Boston. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you didn't tell me this is such a big deal. She's like, oh, yeah, it's like the biggest the day biggest. in Boston. <laughs> I just like reading those articles that say walking's as good as running, so justify my my workout that, regimen that, that's bs but yeah. whatever or the, or the people that are like running's running's bad for you i'm like well i i, I feel fine right now and i don't know maybe i i'm a little beat up down the road but that's okay yeah <laughs> it was it was pretty bad my my buddy and i that um we we work out together and we took our mileage up don't don't laugh to 30 miles uh last week, week before last before i was we set off 30 the miles a week we we did like 30 32 i think we did like 34 miles for the week and that's we were quite like a few yeah, but except for that's like average trainer for like like what are your what's your mileage per week? Um, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, like right now I'm pretty light. It's around thirty to forty. Yeah. I'm pretty light. It's around thirty yeah. to forty. That yeah. that just illustrates practice. I was using it as an example of like practice because like is we're feeling really good about where we're at, but we're basically like right between novice and beginner for a ten k time. Yeah, yeah. So we basically suck. It's well, I don't I've, know. I've trained enough on the peloton to know I could. I could keep up with you on a bicycle. Is, um, that, is that your go-to, the Peloton? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. Rowing more lately. Rowing? But, um, nice. It's more strength training. I think I was, yeah, I've got some bad knees. and Oh, the Assault Runner's been really cool. Have you been on one of those? The self-propelled, it's kind of a curved treadmill. Yeah. It's self-propelled. Yeah, I run on those quite a bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, yeah that's, I, that's fantastic. I love that. And it, it, it feels a lot better. I like it because a lot. it has that that little curve to it. Yep. Yeah, I feel like that. That's not as hard on me. And I didn't even have my shoes one day at the gym. But you haven't seen our our, our wellness center. You I, I wanna I wanna go. Yeah, yeah, you gotta come by and and check out the wellness center. It's pretty cool. The uh, I didn't have my shoes one day. No, I only had my basketball shoes. I tried showing up at for the five a.m. Friday morning basketball game, mm -hmm. which after like four of those, I realized I need to put a forty and over together game. <laughs> Or game together because we've got some you know twenty five year old engineers that they'll they'll cover you 
like full court press. Yeah. You know, I'll get the ball on the three point line after making a good cut and they'll come at me with their four foot verticals. I'm like, guys, like, let me shoot the ball. Like I'm only 18% from the three point line. Like it's just if, for fun. guys. Yeah, <laughs> like this, what are we doing? I don't I need injuries here. So I got to put together a 40 and over game, probably like 6 30 AM instead of 5 AM. Um, but I only had my basketball shoes. I went to run on the salt runner barefoot and mm. it was really comfortable. Really? Yeah. It was, it was fine. I like that and the assault bike. Assault bike. Assault yeah, bike. Yeah, we don't great. have one of those. Beat your ass. Yeah. It's pretty good. Pretty good workout. I did it this morning, actually. Oh, nice. Um, Can you explain the wellness center? Because I think that first time I saw that, I'm like, yep, they, they get it. That's all I need to know. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, we had some wellness and wellness initiatives, you know, in our company, I would say were probably started out like a lot of companies where, you know, HR comes through and you know, pre biometric, you know, probably yeah. through the winter yeah. and they're trying to do something yeah. and um, um, some Fitbit challenges and things like that. Yeah. But we had we had a little extra space in, in one of our buildings. So we decided to build a, a little gym and it quickly got to a point where people weren't using it because there was too many people um, in it. So. Uh, we just decided to go big so we we uh took a, a warehouse space that's i was probably t- twelve thousand square feet and we did a full uh you know sport court um golf simulator a bunch of gym equipment it kind of expanded our gym um created a hangout room with pool and shuffleboard and ping pong and stuff but and then uh, and we and we hired two individuals to work in there, but it was more. It's called a wellness and cultural center, and so our goal was to gather mm-hmm. to create a space where people would come gather. That that's now the fitness part, the health part, great benefit, mm-hmm. and certainly I wanted a, pl- a place I could go to at any time. So it's open from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. for seven days a week for any employee. So they'll sign the uh, waiver, their card gets them in, and they can use this. They can bring their family. Um, and their friends. I was playing. I was down there one Saturday morning, and I had a we had a new apprentice show up with like four guys from his neighborhood to play basketball. Really? Yeah. And I'm totally good with it. Yeah. You know, it's like having it's like having keys to the church building because your dad had keys to the church <laughs> building when you're growing up or something. You know, so we they were down there playing basketball, and there was probably four other people there working out. Um, my wife and I were down there uh, working out. So, um, but but on the uh, we really want to create a space where people could come you know, hang out, uh, whether it's after work, you know, shoot some pool, do some stuff. Um, but what I've noticed was like the, the positive peer pressure has been awesome. So we'll get people kind of challenging each other mm-hmm. to, to come work out. I, I see whole departments there doing a hit workout with the, with the trainers, you know, at, at 11 AM during their lunch break and stuff. And so the, um, the positive peer pressure and the lack of, you know, it's there, they really have no excuses. So uh, a lot of people are, are, um, are getting healthier. My biggest heartbreak is, has been, you know, issues surrounding mental health in our, in our industry. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, everyone knows the statistics about, you know, uh, mental health and then, and then how much worse they are in construction. Mm-hmm. And then for electricians, it's the worst. We have the highest is suicide right? rate yep, of really? all trades um, and huge issues. And you can point to all of the machismo and the pride and the things like that. And, and, and I think there's just a lack of, of resources uh, all together. Um, our second hire for the wellness center was, um, I call him a kid that's, you know, I probably call everyone a kid that's mm-hmm. not yet 30 or something. I don't know. Um, he, he came, he, he was in the military. He got out, went and got his degree in health and wellness 
at ASU um, because of some because the gym kind of helped him heal from some of his own you know kind of mental health things and so he's not he wasn't just passionate about fitness and he trained you know at Redline Gym trained people mm-hmm. in sports during that time but I'm really excited to have someone that that could be a resource for that aspect of things um, the key is getting people through and in and willing to talk and you know put um, programs together so I I think a lot of people see the wellness center initially as just a physical you know as a gym on-site gym for people to come and use but for me the long-term play is to create a community center um, that we're using you know on the weekends that we're you know we've got some some uh, plans to have you know form and date night where mm. the, the executives will come watch their kids and give them time to go out really yeah. do things wow. that let them see each other outside of work um and connect and bond and just really have that second family wow. you know in their communities there's so so many people don't have that sense of community anymore mm-hmm. less people go to church less people are involved in other other things that naturally create community less people know their neighbors well especially over the past two years community has just been eradicated yeah, from society disseminated yeah. yeah. So um, if we if we can give them some people who love them and care about them, wow. uh, why not be the people that they come in and work with and around all the time? So that's that's, that's a big picture. I only wish we would have made it even bigger sure. now that it's done. Right. Yeah. I, that's how it always goes, yeah. especially for a growing company. And now to give people some context about who you guys are, you lead a primarily an electrical contractor. Yeah, that's the bigger, that's the big part of the business. Big yeah. part of the business. So there's multiple business now. Is that, that was the business that you first started? Correct. Yep. Corbin's. Yep. Corbin's and Phoenix. Um, we have about, uh, enterprise wide, we have 665 employees right now, about 400 electrical trade mm-hmm. and, and, and specialty craft. And, and then um, we have a sister company called Knox Innovations that does virtual design and construction and fabrication that probably has about a hundred of, of our employees and then a business called construction labels that does exactly what it says. Sure. <laughs> Make labels. Yeah. I think we have some magnets on our, on our, uh, refrigerator <laughs> yeah. from you guys. Okay. You got some, you must be on the mailing list. And then, um, NXG, which is the shared services that supports those businesses and other businesses that support construction, but primarily start out, uh, in, in electrical construction. Um, we're doing, um, more than just electrical construction now, but that's that's uh, that's the business we, that we grew. All of the other businesses kind of launched out of that to solve other industry problems sure. or solve industry problems in a way that could help other people and not just our own business. That's where we're at too. Similar similar model, but completely different, completely industry. different world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and David, what's your what's your background? background uh, electrical electrical contracting and then in uh, 2005 started a advisory consulting firm just and was looking at it to solve to, to help be part of the solution for the people problem i mean we're going to have you know the millennials a huge generation the baby boomers a, a was also a huge generation my generation sandwiched in the middle so there's going to be a big talent gap between say peaked in 2018 and will be declining through 2030, you mm-hmm. know, just, just a, this like experience gap. That's what everybody's experiencing. So, you know, we're, we're really good at helping companies both work through and mitigate that problem, you know, through enterprise-wide retirement offboarding programs, as well as, you know, kind of building up their talent pipeline of, of people coming into the industry. 
and then good at helping companies grow through these kind of strategic growth inflection points about every tripling of size, which you're, you've been through that now like three times. There was, sure. there was Aaron, then there was like five, then there was 15 yeah. and then yeah. there was 50 and now you're, you're heading up to 150 and you know, each one of those requires just a whole different leadership focus, whole different management structure, your systems, processes, all of them break down. So we're good at helping people through that. And yeah, and you, you don't, you don't appreciate that until you're right in the thick of things. Yeah. And then you're just sitting there like, oh, my God, what have we done? Because it's just total chaos. I thought when we were getting – I was just telling you guys, you, you think like, all right, we're going to get to 100 people and we're going to be chilling. It just <laughs> does not does, – nope. does, does not work that way. You can't no. – you don't feel like – at least I haven't over four years because we've been growing like we have. You probably too. I just haven't gotten to a point where it's like, oh. Oh yeah, this is good. I'm a business owner. I love this, man. It just doesn't yep. work that way. <laughs> no. Yeah, I got into a um uh, started spending time with a gentleman in in Phoenix who's a who's a patent attorney and turned venture capitalist and when we first met we were talking about our businesses. He said, "How many employees do you have?" I told him and he said, "That's a problem." <laughs> you know? Like <laughs> that is a yeah. huge problem. Yeah. Um he just couldn't relate to to that. It's uh it, you know what's what's interesting too. We we've gone through this exercise, and I'll t- tell you how I know David, but or how we met. But we we've gone through this exercise over the years where it's like, okay, you're at you're at fifty million. What does your hundred million dollar org chart look like, like for the construction business? Mm-hmm. And it's a great exercise, but you think you know, right? But you can't even predict mm-hmm. like the the levels of management or. Whose roles, and this has been a huge thing, whose roles actually have to, in the beginning, generalists are awesome, right? You need people who Correct. can kind of, and then you get to a point where you have to go to someone and say, hey, I I need you to do half of what you were doing, mm-hmm. but three times as much of it. Yeah. And they go, I don't want to really want to give up this other half of what I was doing. It's like, well, I have to, you got to do one or the other because it doesn't work for our business anymore for you to be in charge of both those functions. And, and uh, the number of times we've had to kind of do that, split a role and bring someone else in as a peer uh, to someone for a function that they used to control, you know, that I, no one, I didn't know what that was going to look like. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was going to be a thing that you had to do all the time. Um, And, or successfully, you know, you, you have to, the business would grow up around someone and you had to bring someone else in kind of over the top of them. And, and even though their span of control was increasing, their influence, their yeah. it, they they were actually growing, but the business was kind of growing. They way. felt like it was a yeah. demotion because uh-huh. they were the the person that was at the top in charge of people, and now they're the second person in charge, and and they feel like, well, that, that I got demoted. It's like you didn't get demoted. No. Like we just we're just expanding yeah. and growing, and and you know, and so that's been um those are actually some of the success stories though and you know being able to do that effectively is has has helped a lot and and not lose people during that process but you don't predict the need to be able to to have to do those things you think it's just going to be like a well everyone's going to stay on top of the dog pile that they're on Mm -hmm. we're just going to have people underneath and Mm -hmm. grow and everything's gonna be fine doesn't well and um and sometimes too it's like this person super capable what they do has has been instrumental to our success but they just need a little bit more time. And our business, we can't afford to just give them that time. So we need to go get somebody that has the seasoning a little bit that, yep. that they don't have. And But they'll get there. But it's, it's just hard to explain. It's like, yeah, you just yeah. you just need a little bit more time here. And it's, it's you're not doing anything wrong. But also, the business can't afford to give you that just for free. We're, 
we still need to go where we're going. It's it's really hard to balance. Yeah, it's an, and it's really it's reps, right? You need yeah. more reps because mm-hmm. like as young yeah, people, you don't yeah, yeah. you don't. You know, I never wanted to be told, well, you're just you know you're not ready because what because of age because of correct. What? No, it's you need more reps. You yeah. haven't seen you you've seen you know you've had five cycles uh, of this type of thing. Mm-hmm. You you just need more cycles because those five cycles haven't exposed you to all the things that you might need to be for me to be able to give this functional business to you and feel like I'm mitigating all the risks associated with it, you know, and and that's, and the nice thing is when you have a growing business, you have the ability to give people reps pretty rapidly, which is cool. Um, But they've got to be ready to run and take, you know, go through those cycles really quick. And, and the culture, I think, is important of getting the people's mindsets to where they realize, like you said, you're you're on this journey. There's the journey of the business, and then there is my personal journey as being part of that mission and everything like that. And all I can do is continue to work on myself. And it's interesting how it works out over 10, 15 years. But a lot of times it's very jarring in the in the short term, you know, when you feel like, oh, I'm not I'm not living up to that trajectory line or something like that. Mm-hmm. And helping when you have a culture where everybody's valued, you realize like, yeah, you're just not ready yet. It's not a big deal. You're going to get there. Well, but it it got a lot easier when I stopped looking at it from my perspective. I'm like, well, of course they get it because it's obvious because it's obvious to me. And then I start like that's there's such an enormous flawed logic there. (laughs) Like, no, no, no. I'm the only one that sees the business like me. I need to go to from their perspective. And it's like they have a family to feed and their kid needs braces next week. And, And there's. There's needs that are more pressing than making the dirt world a better place. That's important to them. Their their career is right. very important to that. Uh, but it's not the most important thing. Like in my life, this is the most important thing. There's no family. There's there's nothing else. It's it's this. Um, and but once I once I started to approach it from their perspective, it's like, oh, okay, I can understand how to manage this a little bit more effectively. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, what we were talking about with the whole love thing kind of going off of this. Can you just kind of explain the conversation you had to have with, with your team? I don't sure. know when that was. Must yeah, have been a few no, years ago. I mean, I think, um, you know, in my experience in, in construction, and I've been doing this, you know, full time since I was 19 and, and then the summer times before, before that, um, you know, I, I think I had a, I had a, a unique experience in the sense that I did have people around me who showed me um, a level of kind of trust and love and vulnerability, you know, in an industry that where that wasn't normal. Um, and as I as I uh, got further away from that nucleus and started working around a lot more people on a lot more projects across the the Western United States, I realized that um, we had a huge kind of cultural issue in people's experience in, in construction and and not everyone had had some of the positive experiences that I had had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I didn't I didn't relate to their kind of uh, attitude towards this thing that we did called work um, and, and the negative aspects of that. And so I really when I started to understand that, I thought, well, you know, part of the problem is that we're just not um, we're not being vulnerable with it's uh, people don't want to admit failure and stuff and that and that as that culture shift started happening in other industries i think we were just the holdout in construction to a large degree and you know we used to make excuses for the generation above us that well that's just how they are 
that's just how they are. That's how they were raised in the industry and they're mm -hmm. not going to change. And I don't believe that. And I certainly don't believe that now. I didn't believe it then. And I know for a fact that that's bullshit now. Um, they just needed permission to um, have feelings, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they needed permission to express the positive emotions that they were having and this, the fear. And that, that's actually what I've figured out. I, would, I don't know that I would have described it this way. You know, even two years ago, um, but it's like permission to be afraid. When we um, rolled out our, you know, people talk about, and one of the things that's bothered me just about business in general is like the this whole like mission, vision, values thing. Um, I think a lot of people write like mission statements that are focused on, you know, their customers, and that's great. Um, their their core values. Uh, are fairly shallow. And I don't mean that really as a criticism because they're really, really, really hard mm -hmm. to, to like write and translate. Like integrity, respect, yeah. safety. So, so you get a lot of that, right? Yeah. Or people will hire, you know, I, and I came into a business that had hired, you know, FMI to help them with this mm -hmm. with some offsite retreat with six people, you know, and it was like, it, and adding value to the lives of those we touch. I don't know how many companies FMI did this for where that ended up being one of the three things that they had. And I was like, well, what does that mean though? Yeah. You know, and what's the purpose of this business? Which is hard to add a question to answer. Just like you said, I mean, you're making the dirt world a better place. That means something very deep, like significant to you. But even that, how do you translate that to, ev to everybody? Mm -hmm. um, Which is, it's still work in progress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and ours is, you know, uh, empowered thought leaders boldly changing the construction industry. And, and then I have to answer, well, in what way? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, well, and then our in our core values of, you know, passion, relationships, innovation, development and excellence. Well, you got to put some more descriptors to that. The thing that I think is the most important to me is our our lion's code. And those are the behavioral expectations um, that th there's nine of them. Um, three of them are posed as a, a you know, as a lion. That's our, our logo is a lion. Um, and there are things that you can do regardless without anyone else's interaction. And mm -hmm. then as a rep, as a member of the pride, so those describe kind of our behavioral expectations, uh, across mm -hmm. each other. And then as a representative and those describe how you're expected to represent. And what we did is we, we drove a stake in the ground and you cannot be perfect at any of them, which is, which is what I love about them. It's not like a checklist. I did this, I did that, I did this, or I am this, I am that. The very first one is that I will show up every day um, mentally and physically prepared to operate with attention to detail, to, with discipline and attention to detail. Well, I mean, how many days can you say, I did pretty good at that today? Sure. And how many days can you say, I, I don't, I've got room for improvement? Well, every day you can mm -hmm. say, I've got room for improvement in that. Right. So they weren't about creating a checklist. They were about creating behavioral expectations that we could all hold each other accountable to, hold ourselves accountable, but really just think through how could I continue to be more consistent in that? And it's not like better every day. I don't know anyone who's better every day at those things. Yeah, It's not about being better every day. I think that's a, that's a pie in the sky idea. I think it's about being more consistent more often with, which is with, with each, each of these things. And some of them are one of my, one of my favorite ones is I show love to my team by holding them accountable and never, uh, and refusing to let them fail. So we talk about love kind of unashamedly in a, in an environment that people don't, aren't, aren't really comfortable talking about that, especially because we're, you know, we're male dominated industry still in the field. Um, I could tell you that we have, I could tell you that we're outpacing females in construction by 1%. Um, but when you look at the demographics in the field, they're still sure. you know, probably similar to any other. Um, so the, 
you know, people aren't really comfortable talking about these things. Maybe they didn't talk about them, you know, with the, with the men in their lives at home and stuff, but, um, defining kind of what it means to, to love people and not, and that doesn't mean letting them get away with things that you should let them get away with the most loving people in your life. The people who love you the most will hold you accountable the most. And that's kind of what we talk about a lot in with the, the field, field leadership and, um, look for field leaders who are going to be willing and, and able to have those conversations and kind of change their approach to how they're managing the the workforce, the experience that they're creating for the workforce. And, um, you know, when we truly tre- treat each other as like brothers and sisters, and I really like what Simon Sinek says about this. He says, not family, like, eh. you know, he says, brothers and sisters, like we will, we will fight with each other to to make things better. But when someone else shows up from the outside, like you're not messing with my sister, mm-hmm. right? So the the idea that if we treat, if they were truly treating each other like brothers and sisters, um, you know, they're the first people that are gonna that are gonna kind of kick your ass if you're if you're screwing up. Um, but they're doing it because they love you and they want what's best for you, not sure. because what you're doing is negatively affecting what they're trying to do. Um, and and that's how we decommoditize. You know, it's easy to talk about people in construction being a commodity when we're talking about the ghost of a corporation, the ghost of leadership, we have to decommoditize them at the job site first, like the field leaders directly, they can't commoditize them and then blame the management structure above them. Mm -hmm. So that's the first place that has to happen. And that's really what it's about is knowing we have a process how each crew is expected to start their day and end their day called power up and power down. Of course, that's a play on being an electrical contractor, mm-hmm. but um, in power up, you know, the, the, the expectations that we train them to is you, you don't have new people show up on your crew and say, Oh, hey, well, you guys go do what you were doing yesterday. And hey, you two, you know, go with, you know, go with Johnny. Like, no, like you stop, you introduce them, you, you know, let's humanize that experience for them. It's intimidating to show up to a lot of our job sites. I mean, the job sites that, for you, sure. that you've been on That's are all I do. pretty intimidating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you show up to a semiconductor manufacturing facility with red buttons all over the place that if you bump into one, it's yeah. going to shut down production of, you know, <laughs> chips. Like, that's a very intimidating environment for people to show up on, show up to. And um, they're so they're already feeling uneasy. They're already feeling um you know, intimidated, um, the worst thing you could do is dehumanize them right up, right in the, in the first moment that they show mm-hmm. up and say, you and you go with him. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, there's a lot more to, um, the way we, that we receive people, um, the way that we do analysis without blame, the way we talk about production, production goals, um, and the way we take responsibilities, field leaders about clearing the path and doing it, doing that, analysis without blame and, and recognizing that, you know, when, when we're not achieving what we set out to achieve, that most of the time it was a planning issue, it was an information issue, material tools, equipment, you know, the, the pillars of productivity that Dave and his company have taught dozens and dozens, hundreds of companies and ingrained in us a long time ago, like you have to approach that and take responsibility for it. And I think a lot of people just want to go to the end and say, well, these people just aren't working as hard as, you know, my generation did. It's always, yeah, it's always, I don't know, blame, 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 blame. Yeah, it's always, they don't want to work. Well, it's like, well, but have you have you done what you need to do to get them to work? Right. <laughs> and and yeah. maybe they work differently than you do because they're different human beings. Humans are complex. They're, everybody is completely different. 
and we like to treat it like because it's a production-based business, we like to treat it like it's a machine, it's a tool, it's a, a consistent material because everything else we can manage and and we can wrap our wrap our hands and minds around, but human being it just doesn't doesn't work that way. No. What what are the going to the pillars pillars of productivity? What is what is that? Well, the the things that are required to basically set somebody up for success, whether you're, you know, at, at the craft level, I heck it works in the office as well. It's like what, you know, and, but in the field, you know, we define them as having all the, the right information present, you know, do, mm. does that person know what they need to do? Yeah. And, you know, to your point, not what they need to do based on my perspective of it, but what do they need to do at the level they can hear it and understand it? Cause the way you'd lay out a first year apprentice is very different than the way you'd lay out a 20 year journeyman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so everybody's got skills. So, you know, the information they need, the materials, is it all close? You know, like I don't want anybody having to move more than 30 feet to it. You know, same with even just getting to the bathrooms. I don't want somebody having to walk more than, you know, a minute to the bathrooms, you know, just get everything close, you know, make sure. And then, you know, so information, materials, get their equipment and tools close to them. You know, the equipment fueled, charged, you know, ready to go. It's what the, the dirt world does well. I mean, we spend a lot of money on the logistics to make sure that equipment's ready to go every single shift. Sure. We don't do that in a lot of other trades. A lot of other trades, you know, you watch the crews getting ready in the morning and they're they're out there looking for batteries, looking for cords, looking for whatever, you know. So and then making sure if you have subcontractors you're dependent on making sure they're all ready to go. And then most importantly, you know, once all those things are done, make sure the work area is ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. are we really ready to to get out there? If it's, you know, dirt, is it is it is it dry, is it the right right moisture content? If it's out, you know, an electrical job or mechanical, it's just making sure that work area is ready. Is it well lit up, mm. safe to work in, clean, you know, are all the prerequisite, you know, things done? And something as simple as do, does everybody understand what the hell's going on here? Um, that you'd be surprised how many people don't, don't. know what's going on. Yep. And I've been on enough sites now where you can just tell who knows and who doesn't know. Um, but going to your point about, feelings and emotions and most they're not going to speak up because they don't want to look stupid no. are you kidding me i'm just going to be like yeah check and then i you know okay you want to talk about safety concern for example just somebody not knowing what the hell's going on that's a safety dangerous. concern mm-hmm. yeah that's that's as dangerous as anything else probably the yeah. most yeah probably the most and yet we don't really make sure that everybody has the understanding there's a company um, that I was just at, which is why it's top of mind, Rummel in mm-hmm. Phoenix. Rummel, yeah. Yeah, biggest earth-moving contractor in, in Arizona. And uh, I get there. They say, yeah, we start at 530. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just get there at 6 to let them get going. And I don't need to see them yeah. do their pre-shift walk-arounds. And this, I've, I've done that enough. I just want to see them moving dirt. I get there at 6, maybe five minutes before 6. And they're still in their safety meeting. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This company actually values everybody understanding what the hell is going on. So it's not just like, yep, let's check the box and let's get to work. Let's go move some dirt because that's where we're making all the money. They have like a 30, 45 minute discussion with everybody every morning. And I've seen this. It wasn't just one data point. It's every time I'm out there. It's a in-depth discussion about what the hell's going on, what the hazards are associated and, and everybody's participating. And it's like, Wow, this is this is something. This is really spectacular. And as a result, they do great work and they have a lot of great people and their workforce is doing just fine as far as what I can see from the outside. Yeah. Um, so it's like something like that. It's 
yeah, let's take the extra 30 minutes that, yes, it's not time that we can produce with, but it makes the next 10 hours a hell of a lot more productive. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people even look at, and we took David's pillars of productivity and, and kind of um, modified it a little bit, mostly because we don't have a lot of Electrical subs. puns? But no, we say, <laughs> we say information, material, tools and equipment, work area ready, and production goals. And even people we share that with, they look at that as kind of a very benign thing. Like, okay, uh, information, like give everyone the spec book. Like, no, don't mm-hmm. give them information they don't need, mm-hmm. right? Um, material okay, have all the material on the job site. Well, even that 15%, I think the study was, I don't know what, what year it was, it was like 15% of all man hours in, on an electrical construction project for, for the electrical contractor was material handling, mm. right? So, um, but people look at that as a metric of profitability or production. I look at that as a cultural metric of frustration. Mm-hmm. Like it, you might go, oh, we need to eliminate this from happening because we're losing money doing it. Well, the, what's worse than that is you're frustrating the crap out of a whole bunch of people that did not don't want to be going to the other side of the job site yeah. and picking conduit out of a out of a pile and carrying it back to where they thought they were going to get to utilize the skills that they've learned um, to install it. So, and then the same thing with production goals. But yes, it's measurable. If you give people a goal to be, they will be more productive. If you tell them what winning looks like that day, they will be more productive because they have a, a greater sense of purpose that day. Um, but it's that greater sense of purpose that the real value comes from, right? Mm-hmm. You can give them kind of bullshit production goals that you don't have as they're not, they might not be directly, um, you know, direct outputs from your estimating. Like you can get super technical and say that you need to install X number of linear feet per hour per day. And, and a lot of companies do that. Um, but even if you just, uh, at the beginning, when we rolled this out, our, some of our, our foreman would say, we, we, no one gave us the production goals. We're like, man, you've been doing this 20 years. Just go, how much do you think that, that two, those two people yeah. should be able to do in this specific, specific environment on this job today? Yeah. Um, use your judgment. Give them a goal. Talk them through it. And they did that, and we, we had a measurable increase in productivity. Um, and, and so, but it's the, like I said, it's the, it's the implications to the experience of the person that's doing the work that's greater than even the, the, you know, kind of benign financial metrics that come that come along with it. We're trying to, we need more people excited about coming to work and living out, you know, something meaningful to them. Oh, uh, well, and I, um, I, I, I'm optimistic about human beings. I, I take it mm-hmm. you're probably quite optimistic. Oh, you're yeah. probably quite optimistic. A lot of people in this industry are not. Um, and I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I think everybody's shitty and doesn't want to work, I, I'm surrounded by people who are shitty and don't want to work, ama- uh, amazingly enough. But I think human beings, they, they want to do a good job. They want to perform. They want right. to go excel in whatever they, they do. So, yeah, if they're frustrated – that's getting in the way of of them performing, and then yeah, they're they're obviously not going to perform as a result. I think everybody, most people on 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 average, desire to do a great job, mm-hmm. but a lot of them just don't have the conditions to be able to do that in the first place. Yeah, and the people that they're around, they're, I mean, that's what we hear the most. Like, what's your favorite thing about working here? They're not like, oh, it's you know, Justin Martin. Like no one says that, right? No one says the logo. Like you think people are loyal to the logo. Yeah. Yeah, they might buy, they might wear your hat more often if they like your logo. It, they always reference the people that they're working around, right? As their greatest point of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And a partner of, of mine uh, always references, we did a lot of service projects growing up as young men and, you know, cleaning out old ladies' backyards, like the cat lady, right? Like oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the, nice. in the barn and the, yeah. you know, she couldn't take care of her house anymore, doing stuff like that um, and worked our butts off, right? Um, uh, typically for our dads and our scoutmasters, you know. Uh, church youth group leaders, right? We'd work our butts off, but you didn't mind doing it. And he always tells I, I those are some of my greatest days because I was doing it with, with you know, my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think people underestimate the difference that the relationships that, um, that people have with the people to the left and right of them make in the production of their work, the satisfaction of their day, or even if you're, if it's a day where the task isn't, isn't the most enjoyable, um, or it's hot or it's hard, or, you know, um, and then when it comes to safety, if you actually care about the person to the left and right, like truly care about them, yeah, the you there's, I mean it's obvious you're gonna actually look out for them better. Mm-hmm. Would you let your son do that? Then don't let that person do that, right? So um, you can talk about that stuff all day, but and until they, you know, people experience it and live it, I think that's the trend that has to has to happen, has to continue. They have to actually experience it because the, the coins aren't dropping. Sure. From head to heart until they go, oh, I get it now. Well, and everybody, everybody has a different life experience coming into the business like you talked about. You can't just assume that, yeah, they get it because they had a father like mine who taught me this. Everybody, and I, I just talked about this on an internal podcast yesterday. I think it's, you know, some people will get it pretty quick. Other people, it takes months and months and months. And it's typically the more experienced people mm-hmm. because you have to unwind more abuse there. And if they've been, uh, what I think is abused over 15 years, honestly, as a human being, there's a lot more work to do to, to, to break all of that experience down and show them that hey, this it's it's actually okay to to open up here, because they've they've built up such a big dense shell to protect themselves that mm. it, it you just have to understand it's like they don't get it. It's like well yeah no shit they don't get it because they've been abused for 15 years so. You have to give them the time and space to even get to that point. And it's different for everybody. Some some person, you know, will hire somebody 18, 20 years old, just like that. They're ready to rock and roll. They're just like a chameleon. Yep, we're, we're good because they don't have that. And then you'll hire somebody that's experienced. And you're like, shit, I'm paying them all this money and they just don't get it. Well, yeah, of course they don't get it. Yeah, I've had uh, more experienced, you know, uh, gentlemen that would say, well, these these kids just can't handle um, you know, these direct conversations. And I was like, oh, maybe they have a little more respect, self-respect than we did at their age, and they have a hell of a lot more options. Mm-hmm. So it's not the conversation that they don't appreciate. In fact, they really appreciate direct conversations. They just expect them to be respectable conversations, mm-hmm. respectful conversations. And um, and maybe they have different different trigger points for for shutting down than than you and I did, and I don't I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think it's actually helping things um, be more civil, more respectful, more productive overall. It's just not the the natural way that they were used to communicating, you know, with people. Mm-hmm. I, I see more challenges with I think people <laughs> using age as a reason to divide. I mean, people want to categorize behaviors but i can tell you i've I've worked you know 24-hour shifts with just as many people that were young and 18 as i have with people that are 65 and there's no difference in that dedication that desire any any of those things the creativity the problem solving 
and you also see the, you know, people like to use that, you know, oh, they were triggered easily or something like that. You know, we, we see people that are in their 60s that are triggered easily, you know, and unfortunately, it's all back to some childhood issues, things that did or didn't happen for them for the most part. But yeah, I don't think it's an age thing just from spending time with people all over the country. It's not an age thing. Sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, when it comes to 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 marketing, I'm super curious about how you guys have presented yourself. I think that's been done very well in a very clever manner. Is is um, from a retention hiring standpoint? Do you guys have much of an issue with retention hiring? Yeah, I th- you know I think that um, amongst craft workers, especially in the the geographical area that we're in, the labor market that we're in, we experience some um, turnover. Uh, that's uh, measurably less than the rest of the industry, but it's still significant. Sure. You know, it's it, it's significant for all kinds of reasons, and and um, we're doing a lot better job about collecting the the data on um, kind of why people leave. Um, and it's what I did notice a huge difference in was because well, we 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 went from probably in two thousand I don't know what it was like seventeen. To 18 we went from 250 to 750 people in like 14 it's a crazy months crazy year oh. yeah. it was it was insane so um and during that and we learned a lot of lessons during that process yeah and um after that process um we put a really in-depth screening process in place oh i say in depth I, I would say it's just um um it's pretty it's pretty technical and it, you know it's pretty objective and it's it's a it's a good screening process for for skills, but it also has built into it some some cultural implications along, along the way that mm-hmm. that uh, you kind of get to vet out and stuff. And so, um, but it was we did that. But after as a result of that, if people didn't kind of test out of certain aspects of that during the initial screening process, and we went back through and we we tested everyone in our existing workforce in this to set mm-hmm. our baselines and mm-hmm. kind of use that data to set where we're at. We started um, doing um, what we call quick start, which is um, some initial modules for the people who had less experience in construction. So, um, you know, we we were successful at doing the thing everyone was saying couldn't be done, which was getting people who had no experience in construction into construction. We were really successful doing that, fighting for the same experience resources that everybody else was. But what do you how do you make that initial um, entrance onto that job site less intimidating? them because we're not sending them out to a track home to mm-hmm. with a small crew to learn how to wire track home like i said we're sending them to those environments that are really in, uh, intimidating so we s- sort of started giving them basic material identification and tool you know i remember having this experience with the foreman that he came to me and he said hey i need more journeymen i said okay why is that i'm looking at the ratio of his crew thinking it's okay and he said because when i'm on the ladder first problem right this is my form the form because when i'm on the ladder and i tell this um uh, person to go get me i told him to go get me unistrut and he brought back all thread and i was like okay we gotta break this whole situation down Uh like first of all he's on the ladder he's the foreman of like a six seven eight man crew um and it, it was like well, that's we're already we're putting him in a position where we're like, yeah, you know the most, you can do the most, and we're not even giving you time to teach anyone that stuff. So you're on the ladder. And second, um, why does it take a journeyman electrician to know the difference between unistrut and all thread? So we put together, you know, quick start. 
like okay, here's material identification um and before they ever go out to the field you know they've got to pass this at a certain level and then mm. same thing on use of hand tools use of power tools it's amazing how many people you know wait oh you don't have tools here you can buy this toolkit from us we'll payroll deduct it you know pat, pat ourselves on the back right um now you have the tools that you're going to need no one actually shows them how to use a tool um they they, they literally don't know that a um a file goes one way or a crescent wrench or, or a, um, you know, the, the, how to use um, a crescent wrench. The, the channel locks. <laughs> channel locks. Sorry. How do that channel lock, like which way to use the channel locks, you know, and they're yeah. slipping. You don't even slow down to teach them that, right? And so they're just like 90-minute modules that they'll go through, and, and we had a series of them so they, that, that they go through. Before. When we started doing that, I noticed our retention was um, – turnover dropped significantly mm -hmm. uh, retention went up as a result of that and i think it was like it was so basic i think we were overcomplicating it before that we were thinking what's gonna what what is the thing that these people want they just want to be prepared mm -hmm. they just wanted to be able to go out there and be productive they want to be able to participate and and not feel like they're in the way you know that it was that simple um so that that was a huge improvement um we also measured the retention of employee referred employees and other and it was like after one year's 80 percent retention of employee referred employees and 30 percent of non-employee referred employees and i expected to see a difference there i didn't expect it to be that drastic it's we've uh so we've hired a lot of people that have no dirt world experience that was my plan from the right. beginning was like i'm gonna hire all industry people so i don't have to train them on the industry we'll just teach them how to tell stories and that went out the window super fast that was a very naive thought because we need other skill sets beyond someone that knows how to lay some water line mm -hmm. um like like harrison working audio for this podcast for example um however we needed to give them a basic understanding of the industry this is something we're not still perfect at but right now especially in onboarding we have a basics of construction course and then now we're creating in our training platform we're going to be creating all of our own coursework for our people that are the basics of construction. And then we started to think, well, actually a lot of this is going to be good for a lot of people in the industry as totally. well. Yeah. Somebody yeah. that's getting into the industry or maybe someone hires a, a new CFO, for example, who's a great CFO, but has never been on a job site, which happens all, all the, the time. time. And they can go sit there and learn what an excavator is. Cause to me, that's so obvious. Cause I learned what an excavator is when I was two years old. Right. <laughs> but some people that I've never even thought about an excavator. It's all just, uh, it's all just a, a truck to them. Right. <laughs> so it's right. something as basic as that. We need to start from just the very basics and work our way up from there. So you have to ex the, demystify, right, and humanize yeah. the industry. You have to do both those things. Exactly. So I think the the other thing that you've you've done. So you've touched on two things: the quick start and the um, the power up, power down both of them seem fairly simple in concept. And I think, you know, when we were talking about earlier of the difference between generationally growing up in the industry, like, you know, my uncle was going through the electrical apprenticeship program when I was like 12. So he was giving me all of his books. I was reading them. I tripped circuit breakers in my grandparents' house, you know, I blackened outlets, you know, I did all kinds of, you know, things you shouldn't do, but you learn a lot. And, and I've been working with tools since I was really young. I grew up in the mountains. I've still got scars on my hands from when I was like six, seven, eight years old, like deep scars. So you learn these things like don't touch the blade in the wrong spot. You know, you learn power tool safety. Well, if you get somebody coming in, though, out of high school, they grew up in a city, 
they never had any of those experiences. And it's honestly really hard for that that craftsman that grew up like like I did or something like that. It's honestly hard for them to get back and deconstruct those levels of details. You know, and it's not, yeah. you know, but it took me a long time. I made a lot yeah. of stupid mistakes, but I made those stupid mistakes from like eight to 18, you know, going through all kinds of shop classes. So I like had 10 plus years of experience of working with tools before I was out, you know, like 18 and working oh, yeah. in the construction industry. When our foreman said, you're sending me people who don't know how to read a tape measure or one that was a huge indictment on on us as a business for for not preparing that person for not under, even knowing that. Right. And so, so I remember that, that obviously was part of that initial test and part of that initial training before they don't. So we, so I can confidently say we haven't sent anyone to a job site in many years that can't or couldn't read tape measure. Mm -hmm. Something I took for granted, right? My dad was a, was a carpenter. And yeah. so I started helping him build decks when I was a little kid. I built custom cabins for a while. So I, I remember going home that day and I had, um, I think I, I got my, my three oldest sons who are probably, you know, 12, and 10 and then my daughter came followed him out there to the shop and and she was maybe eight or seven and i and i was like all right boys i need to check, check if you know how to read a tape measure because <laughs> right? i felt like oh crap am i gonna be my kids are growing yeah. up different than i did i yeah. haven't had them build decks yet yeah so uh, and i marked some spots on a on a piece of wood and uh and they had to write the measurement down and i was like oh Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not, at least I'm, uh, I'm going to make sure, but it, it, that was a huge wake up call. Well, um, my, my dad's a, a tax lawyer, so he's, he's a, he's an expert at language. And I remember I'd give him an English paper, you know, when I'm 12 years old and he would just rip the shit out of it. I just, every other word was marked up mm -hmm. because every single word to him means something. Mm -hmm. And that's all a good lawyer is, is is just a, a craftsman with the English language. That's that's all law is. Um, and I learned how to write very well and communicate very well, which has served me well in this role. Yeah. Of, that's a lot of what I do is write and communicate well. But I never learned how to use tools or anything like that. So I buy this, this fucking skid steer because I'm like, of course I want a skid steer. That's awesome. <laughs> just thinking it's all fun and games. But then you have to learn how to, how to tow the damn thing. I don't know how to put a machine on a trailer and chain a machine down and hook a trailer up and pull a trailer in the right way and make sure the machine, the weight on the trailer is where it needs to be so you're not just shaking around on the interstate like I've done or don't drive down a hill, you know, a grassy hill with a loaded trailer because the, the trailer is going <laughs> to keep go going one yeah. way or another. Yeah. I mean, you you make all of these stupid mistakes and you're just like, I know nothing because I never. I never grew up with any of it. I never grew up around equipment, yeah. never grew up around tools, none of that. And so here I am, this grown-ass man, learning how to use chains and a binder. And I'm like, man, I am completely worthless. But I, I at least have the I'm, – I'm, in, a, I'm in, in at least a safe space. So I can look like a jackass while trying to chain something down for the first time. But if I was on a job site trying to chain something down with a bunch of guys where, you know, jack dudes, tattoos, mustaches – looking at me looking like an yeah. idiot i would be like this is terrible yeah this is completely miserable i don't want to be in this situation yes yeah and it's and it's and it's I'm, i study a lot of human nature and it just comes back to human nature we want to we want to belong to the tribe because that increased our odds of survival and if we're standing out it's super uncomfortable to mm -hmm. us as human beings so anything we can do to equip these people like we're doing with our training product to get there and just feel like they're part of the team day one 
boom. Huge You're good difference. To go. yeah. yeah. All right. Question for you then. So I, I've you know been watching you since I saw your pictures the first time or whatever, and you're you're very public about your failures, you know, like, like rolling the skid steer over on its uh, backside, yeah. which yeah. I, and I, pre- I failed to mention that one, but here yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. But, but what, you know, I don't care about that, that one, what gave you from a childhood, like what were the experiences that got you to the point where you could be resilient and just say, yeah, I made a mistake and I'm, I'm getting back up again to do it again. Um, that's a good question. I don't know what it was from my childhood. College was honestly very instrumental in okay. that because and I think a lot of school, honestly, high school is the same way. I, 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 engineering school was, was miserable. Every single test would be a failure, right. every single test. And so you would work as hard as you've ever worked in school before, but my brain just does not work in engineering speak. But I was, I was in it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, I have to finish this damn thing. So it was, you'd, you'd work your ass off. You'd be in the library, you'd go to, you'd go to, uh, office hours, you'd do everything you could, and then you'd go get a 42% on a test and just get just kicked right in the nuts. And then, okay, you dust yourself off, and then you go do it again, and then yeah. you go do it again, and then you go do it in, to the next semester, to the next round of classes that you're going to keep failing. And it was just failure, failure, failure. And and it was in sports, I wasn't very good. In school, I wasn't, I've never been very good at anything. And so it's just been, I think, just constant failure through my life. And I think I've just gotten to the point now where it's like, well, this is just kind of what you do. <laughs> so, so was there a part though in growth? Cause I, I think this is that piece to unlock, right? As like, I knew, I think you had rich, rich Davinian and you know, you're like yeah. the kind of those grit traits of that resilience of like, I would fail over and over and over again. And that's why I became successful at something. So, so going to rich Davini, we, we evaluate when we hire people for three core attributes and an attribute is you kind of have it or you don't. Um, the, the, the core attributes that we have are uh, situational awareness, humility, mm. and courage. So mm. going to that, a lot of it is humility. Mm. To just be able to admit right. that I don't know what I'm doing here. And yeah, I suck at this, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And then that's where the courage comes in. All right, I have the courage to go do something that I know I'm not good at, but let's go, let's go give it a shot. Situational awareness. Man, I, I, I suck at this. I need to improve here, 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 and here's how, and here's how I can leverage other resources. So you can kind of go to each one of our core attributes that we've identified for our organization. Every organization is completely different. Yeah. And, and I guess that's like we evaluate for that day one. It doesn't matter what position you're applying for. Yeah. So that's a select for, and you know, which, which I think you know, is a really important thing is being able to select for, but then there's, there's a range, right? There's like this absolute range of, you know, oh, I, select for to do the skill or this this thing but then there's like a that next range down where i look at like okay maybe there's that 20 30 percent that person that that didn't have that that hug when they were younger that that you know figure that role model or whatever and you know can i lower that bar a little bit which expands my market quite a bit yeah, for like talent can, can you and then how do give i them develop permission to do not be right you know that yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. i think yeah. i mentioned yeah. like the giving people um making it safe to be afraid and i guess what i mean by that is like our you know if i talk to one of our former one of my favorite questions to ask them because they they have a top 10 and the top 10 is 
not intended to be a job description in the HR sense where it talks about, you know, all the duties of a job, but the top 10 responsibilities they have. And the first one for a foreman is I'm the keeper of life and death. And it goes on to explain their responsibility Mm. to safety. And then it goes on and and talks about their responsibilities in developing people and and schedule management, all the things that that are most important, the top 10 most important things to their job. My my favorite question to ask them is, hey, which one of those scares the shit out of you? Mm. Because I'm, we don't have, you know, a ton of interaction, um, and I, and that my my the intent of that one to, to find out, give them the give them the opportunity to talk to me about it, but to also I'm basically saying it's totally okay that one of the top ten things we've laid out for you in your role scares the shit out of you, mm-hmm. and, and almost yeah. like I'm not saying does one, <laughs> which one scares you the most yeah. is really what I'm asking them because. Yeah. It that's uh, I'm trying to give him permission to 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 be afraid, and that sounds that might sound a little little weird, like like a little counterproductive, but only in facing their their fear, like okay, well, why are you afraid of that? Well, because I don't feel prepared for that, or I feel like that's such a huge responsibility. I never really looked at it that way, or whatever it is. Get I just want them thinking through it like that, right? And and maybe that's where, in one sense, we can give people permission to demonstrate a level of humility that maybe in their past life, which I think is what you're talking about, David, like they, that would have been seen as, um, uh, you know, a a sign of weakness or, or not been a safe place to, that's the one for me where it's come down to my guess is, you know, probably if you you dig in, you know, like there's no absence of fear. We all have fear. Courage is moving forward in the face of fear, but there's also a difference where I would consider, you know, like kind of, fake fears like like made up fear like jumping out of a plane without a parachute that's like a legit fear right i mean you're you're gonna die but then there there's fears like a lot of times where i see people worrying about failure because they grew up in like a heavily judgmental environment you know as a child they probably found that as as a young adult in the work environment you know because if you look for it you don't have to look that hard to find a highly judgmental environment and then that keeps you from taking risks and learning and that, that that just kills your ability to learn well, and you're starting to allow me to reflect on this. Going to my parents, my, my parents let me fail, and they didn't save me. Hmm. So I was on my own when I screwed things up, and they were never breathing over my shoulder about anything, anything. Never hmm. asked me about my, my grades when I was, you know, middle school, high school, college. They didn't tell me where to go. They didn't tell me what job I was going to go get. I told them I was going to go be a construction worker. They said, great. Like, they 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 there was no safety net there. So it's like when I started my company too, it's like, I'm on my own, man there. I can't go to my dad and be like, Hey dad, I screwed up here. Can you save me? Like, it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. (laughs) I've been booted out of the nest and I am, there's no going back. (laughs) So you see that as a blessing now? Did you always see that as a blessing? Yeah. Cause I, 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 didn't know it was any other way. Okay. And then you become an adult and you start to see these other kids that have never really failed in their lives because right. they've always been so protected. And you're like, and you kind of feel bad for them. Like, man, that's a, that is a tough thing to confront when you're 22 years old and you just graduated college. Like, and I've watched a lot of kids have to confront that in their twenties. And a lot of them struggle bad, really bad. Mm-hmm. Well, um, since all we work with is, uh, is management teams, I see a lot of people confronting that in their 60s to be straight totally. up. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and they, they, they can confront it in their 20s or they can just shove it Keep down, pushing it down, suppress yeah. it and, and honestly never confront it, which is even sadder. Right. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. 
but you know, so that that's the the thing that I think a lot about because I mean, whether it's you're you're teaching somebody the craft and the technical aspects of a job, whether that's you know craft field or project management or something, or you're teaching more of the you know the business, you know leadership dynamics or something. There's nothing there that's really kind of an unknown or that hard. It's like if you get in enough reps, you're going to do it, right? Yeah. You know, you might you might might not be the top finisher at the marathon, but everybody can get to a marathon finish for the most part. Sure. The um, but that that thing, if you can unlock just that willingness to get out there and experiment, have a failure, learn from that failure, get right back on that saddle, feel bad, feel bad for yourself for like 30 seconds, then get right back to it. And you could see, you know, even from the, you know, the comments on like that post where you, you know, you rolled that that skid steer on its back. Anybody that says they haven't done it's lying, first of all, you know, mm-hmm. but you could tell from like by my count, like 50 50, you know, some of them were like, heck yeah, Aaron, good job, get oh, back up. And like the other half, were, the the other half time, were like judgmental. The first yeah. time I drove a skid steer was in the, the back of the lot at Royal, and Lou Plant um, <laughs> came over and he said, See that rabbit? See that lever? Put it to the rabbit. Mm-hmm. I was like, All <laughs> right, rabbit. he said, Now I want you to pull back on the when I when I give you the signal I want you to pull back on the left one and push forward on the right one as hard as you can and, and uh so he stepped back with his unfiltered Paul Mall and gave me a head nod and I did it and put it right just tipped it right over uh-huh. on this pile yeah. of aggregate and uh and he's just getting it out of the way yeah you know and then he came back and they pushed me back up and he's like all right now stay off the rabbit and don't push that hard on the levers and then i went to work and i moved a pile of yeah. uh, rock you know i was <clears> probably 16. change your pants moved, yeah, moved yeah. a pile of rock yeah. and yeah. it took me you know a little while but i was a lot more comfortable after tipping that thing over one time mm-hmm. you know? and that's a good coaching thing is lou let you i don't do know that. If that was the right strategy just for the record well it, okay it was but effective check, though but check sure. it out though Lou assessed the situation and, and it's much safer for you to do that in that controlled environment than for you to get out in an environment because there's some situations you could do that in where it's like super, super dangerous, yeah. right? I mean, and you wouldn't want to do that out on a on a big project in front of a customer. I mean, because then, yeah, you know, you got a true. safety incident and everything. Sure. So Lou lets you do it. There's a small chance of injury in that, in that environment to both the machine and to you. And then he got you comfortable with it so that you never do it again. That was That's actually amazing coaching. Well, um, there's a company that demos pools out in California, Fish and Sons, and they have a beater skid steer. They'll actually, mm-hmm. when people start, they'll put them in the machine and they'll push it over. Right. Oh. Because they 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 flip their skid steers over so much because they're the they're the, like the little like S70s yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. those are. That's like, if you're bigger than me, good luck fitting in it. Um, and so they're just and they designed to fit through fences, three foot fences, I think it is. So they're 36 inches wide, yeah. and they they literally push the guy over so he feels. Oh, okay. So that's what it's like to turn over in a skid steer. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not the worst idea. Yeah. I, I don't think we do. There's intentionality, though, of coaching, you know, and that's the, I think the heart, the difference between being a really good player versus being a really good coach. You can, you don't have to be the best player to be a really good coach. You have to know the game, but you, you have to be able to deconstruct everything down to even identifying how to give somebody that humbleness and that courage, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to give somebody humbleness, force them to failure 10 times in a row. We all fail. It, there's no, there's nobody that will not fail at something if you push yourself hard enough. Yeah. So, yeah, we're uh, talking about your training, the, um, and like quick start, right? That was a very learn show do process. And what, you know, of course we were, 
when companies don't get in, like you don't grow a construction business because you know a lot about adult learning. <laughs> right. That's yeah. not, it's yeah. not, those aren't the measurements of success along the way. Yes. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, crap. Um, I really don't know a lot about adult learning. And I sat a lot of people in a classroom for a lot of hours last year and the year before and the year before. And I have no idea whether they took anything at, you know, away from that. And so as we have we've worked hard to change that model. And, and so, you know, I want to say you haven't actually trained someone until they could demonstrate competency back to you about that thing right you've you think you trained them but the training the proof of training is in the competency demonstration right. by the individual not the fact that they were there stayed awake you fed them lunch you know they were mm -hmm. in the classroom during that time and so even with our safety training i'm like this is the worst like this powerpoint is horrible <laughs> like you, it's like your compliancy you know and so we you know, even today, like they get up, they take them. It's like a, it's like a walking tour and they go, OK, here's a chest full of stuff in this chest. Like I've showed you what you're allowed to wear on the job site, what you have to bring, what I'm going to give you and what you can't wear mm -hmm. in that chest is all those things. And then maybe a group of people, they sort the stuff out and oh, they put clever. it into three piles. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's the same as them going you know, doing that little kid homework where you, you take, you draw a picture from the hard hat to the company yeah. provides and then the, the you know, the, the tank top to can't wear, yeah. you know, it's like, that's what we used to do. And now it's like, they get up, they touch the stuff and, and you're just making those connections. Right. So it's like us learning about adult learning, but as we start moving more stuff into an LMS or, you know, you're, you have to leverage digital platforms in order to, you know, provide your training to a larger geography mm -hmm. at a higher speed yeah. and, and uh, to people who aren't, you know, one location, I guess one of the, like, how, how do you do the competency demonstration, you know, part? Um, how do you partner with the businesses that are going, and I'm, you know, uh, asking you a question that you're not going to answer yet, but I'm thinking about this even for ourselves. How do we make sure that we're doing the prerequisite work through that process? So maybe we're raising the quality of the training because now you don't have to have so many people that can deliver it or raising the prerequisite aspect where they can, they can demonstrate that through, you know, through the LMS in our case, you know, through your app that I understood, I can answer these questions, but for things that take, physical competency, how do you close the loop, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. How do you close the loop and yeah. go, okay, now show me that you learned what you learned. Well, so now I really know. With, with our training, we've been really careful to say this does not replace anything in person. And, and so this is just arming people with that experience so that they can then prove close that the physical competency. Yeah. But without that, that closed loop, then it's not worth as much. So this is, you know, phase one, Let's at least provide Dirt World companies with just any kind of training because it doesn't exist right now. So let's right. at least start to fill, fill that void. And then step two is let's help them create that physical competency side of things that they're going to have to create yep. for the success of their business long term. And, and, and they don't know how, so let's help them. They still need to do that, yep. but we'll help them with that as well so that yeah. you have both sides of the coin. And then we'll marry all of that with a facility we'll build as well. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll have a lot of that. The, cool. Even just it's, <clears throat> so much of that loop closing can actually be done on grade, mm -hmm. right, by someone who might even be following along in your thing, the, right? The, the tricky thing about the Dirt World is, you know, you can teach someone how to use channel locks. That's not a very expensive endeavor. Correct. You need channel locks. To teach someone how to run a 657 scraper, that's a, a $1.5, $2 million machine 
that thing needs to be producing because you have a payment on it That's or right. you have depreciation yep. on it and you have fuel burn and it's it's expensive. So oh, expensive. and the wear and tear difference between <clears throat> operator A versus operator B Correct. is huge. And that yeah. managing for longevity is the big deal. Yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about the cost of that. I mean, we just, even for us, we're like, oh, we got to teach people how to do terminations. We're going to burn through a bunch of wire right when no, you teach them yeah. how to physically pull wire to, like that's a lot more expensive than teaching them how to use hand tools sure right um but yeah with equipment that's a whole nother level and that's why it just doesn't happen because it's yeah. like i need this machine to produce i can't train i can't afford to train people and then you know one two six we end up in the problem we're in <laughs> yeah so in the I, i've seen it I, I haven't seen any of them personally how are the simulators for i've seen simulators for excavators um how are those doing for teaching people um, they, they serve a purpose to get people familiar with the controls and like an excavator, for example, you know, this, the swinging motion yep. and, and you can teach pipeline and loading up a dump truck and this and that, but just the, the downside to a simulator, they're just, they're just really expensive. Um, and so it's, it's hard to get a construction company to wrap their mind around it. Like, so I'm going to spend $120,000 on something that can't move dirt for me ever how much so that's that's how much one of the simulators cost uh, i would i would be argued with but for most part they're over 100 grand i've seen that's incredibly yeah. cheap though when you think about taking the depreciation you you end up taking a couple hour thousand it's, hours of is. useful life off of a Correct. two and a half million dollar mind piece. shift though still for people and yeah and i'm sure a lot of people still argue like that's not it can't it's not simulating um you know everything. And yeah, I'm sure they're better and better and better. You can't feel but, it in the sea. Yeah, you know, be yeah. poopy pants about it. But <laughs> yeah, it's better than nothing. You yeah. know, it's better than what you're currently doing, which is nothing. So, see, like, you would never make that argument in the airline industry. The airline industry, like, once they realize the value of a flight simulator, I mean, you know, that you're never going to see a pilot that's trained without a flight. Yeah, that's an air conditioned cockpit. You can't. Uh, yes. You can't create sweat dripping down in someone's well, eyes. No, no, but you, <laughs> but you can create the. I'm guessing that they've got the feel on the controls for being able to feel when you're near, you know, when the material changes in a little density. Uh, yeah, and stuff. yeah. There's yeah. resistance, and the seat will move, and this and that. The thing with the airlines is, it's been federally mandated that they have X amount of hours. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're, it is more advantageous from a cost standpoint and then you also have that federal incentive well you can't do it also but those were that the fight simulators came out though from the military because what they realized was the survivability like once you'd been in like three dog fights or something your survivability went up astronomically through the the roof so that's an industry that got that consolidated a lot in the you know in the before 1960 right Correct. i mean it yeah it, it, you didn't have to have so many people all being willing to make that investment right you got down to like boeing and airbus well that's one of the core problems of the industry is it's so, it fragmented. so fragmented yeah here we are also you'd have to here's the thing they probably don't do right when people go show up to simulators to learn how to operate equipment they probably had a good breakfast <laughs> right that you got to tell them like no you're only allowed to stop at circle k on your way here yeah right you got to be on yeah. gas station cookies whatever's on that roller you got to get rollers it, and, yeah. and rockstar and then let's see how you do i've been joking about that a lot lately because yeah. you know, someone said the other day that i can't relate to the construction industry because i just eat at fancy restaurants which is true 
I oh, like I, oh I, he was telling yeah, about that. Sue me, man. I tried to Dude. find that to show David, but <laughs> so, it, it was gone because I yeah. think it was just in your yeah, yeah, reel. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so funny yeah. because I remember you talking about like, yeah, my credit card didn't work and I slept in my car all night. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. so <laughs> it's like, I swear my dad's not paying for shit. So I, I, yeah. we're doing this that ourselves. That was funny, man. That uh, was... But yeah, it's now it's like, all right, I guess I just have to start drinking, surviving on energy drinks and uh, bags of chips. Right. Takis. Takis. Oh man, the yeah. ability to get decent food uh, when you're out and about is so much better than it was 30 years. 30 years ago, if you were traveling yeah. around, go to 7-Eleven. Yeah, you got a burrito, and that was you're it. Done. Yeah, yeah. I was fancy because I um, I took out my tobacco before eating my hot dog. <laughs> you know, that was I wasn't a real man like that. Like the, my superintendent left it in while he ate his. Nice. So and That's... and I I did I did put. Uh, at the very beginning of my career, and I, I'm ashamed to admit this, I put a little bit of sugar in my uh, job site coffee in the, in the beginning. <laughs> oh, man. Like I, 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 that was, I cut it. I cut my coffee. I cut my Folgers with sugar um, when I was like 20. I bought Starbucks I, stock as I soon as I saw it. a bunch of superintendents in line ordering like, I'll get a caramel macchiato. No, best, story, best story ever. One of my favorite, uh, hum, one of my favorite humans. And, and I'd say he taught me most of what I know about being out on, you know, when I built airports, he, he, he got to a point where he would uh, keep his Circle K cup. He'd go through Starbucks and he'd pour <laughs> the Starbucks into a Circle K cup and throw the That's, Starbucks cup away I, before he got to the job. There's a lot of people that do that. Before he got to the job yeah. site because he did not want anyone to know yeah. that he was drinking Starbucks. I've just, I've just learned don't show up to the job site late. With a Starbucks, oh, yeah. like yeah. you're you're fucked, <laughs> like that. You're, you're done at that point. So that's just and, and, bad, that's the bad. Combo. But even something like that, like that's such a simple lesson that you think's common sense. And then you know, we we work with creatives, and creatives, God God bless them, they're not always on time, yeah. and they'll roll up with their coffee and shit. And I'm just looking at them like, you have no idea what this looks like if you're on a job site. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we appreciate you guys stopping by on short notice. I'm glad we could Thanks. make hey. this happen. Yeah, this has been awesome. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Um, so if they want to find you, just Corbin's Electric. Uh, Corbin's. Corbin's. So actually oh, the best. because it's more. Than... Yeah. So the best way is to go to uh, knoxgroup.us. Okay. I was on your website the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so I was like, yeah, these guys are coming in. It might have been Alex. And he, he searches it and it. It's just this garbage electrical contractor website, just like classic garbage electrical contractor website from like 2012. And I'm like, no, 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 that's that, not, that cannot. Uh, that, that is not. <laughs> right. not, not if it right. is, my, <laughs> if it is, call him and tell him I'm not. I, I got something come up. No, he, he, he googles it again. Like I'm like that one. And then it's just this beautiful website with all these videos and pictures. A beautiful brand. I'm like yeah, yeah. Knox that's group, the one. Knoxgroup.us will get you to the to all four of the other of the websites. Okay. So. And how do we find? Your stuff. Uh, DBMteam.com, DeltaBravoMikeTeam.com. Nice. Excellent. I see you on LinkedIn all the time. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. All thanks, right, cool. Thanks for shopping in. I get people offer to introduce me to you all the time. Really? Mm-hmm. Who the heck's offering yeah. that? Did I meet contractors? I need to meet this guy. Really? Uh, yeah. It's funny. So, right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, sir. Oh, that's that, man.